I'm happy, I think. Yeah, no, I'm happy to be here to, to help out uh, Pastor Meether and exhort from the Word today. One thing I did find out through this whole process, being a pastor is hard. Not only because you're ministering to people, but because you have to, you have to build a sermon each week. That's really hard. I don't think that people really understand what a pastor goes through doing those things unless they actually do it themselves. So that, that's, that really gave me a new perspective, I think. And uh, by, uh, as I was thinking through this, I'm like, well, they're either going to get a 10-minute homily because I'm going to go so fast because it's my first time, or Pastor Meether will be like doing this. You know, you're too long. So hopefully I can uh, balance that out. Well, we're going to be uh, looking at the word from Colossians um, today. But prior to that, I want to give just a little bit of background on the city. Um, I was born and raised in Des Moines, and I really love history. And I like to look back at the history of Des Moines, and particularly from the time like when my mom and dad were around, to see what types of things were happening in the city, to see what trends were going on, what the city looked like, and things like that. So I kind of started doing that as I read through books of the Bible, particularly in the epistles. I started reading, and I don't know how many people, maybe everybody does this but me, but I started reading about the city to see what I could find out about it, to maybe give me a better, or different perspective on what was going on. So Colossae, it was uh, built on a major trade route through the Lycus River Valley. And if I'm not pronouncing some of these words right, forgive me. And it was in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which today would be the southwest corner of modern-day Turkey. There they manufactured this beautiful dark red wool. It was called Colossinum, and that was one of their major trades. And it became famous because of that. The city became famous because of that. But its importance dwelled significantly around 100 BC when the neighboring city of Laodicea was founded, and it became a major uh, city and a commercially aggressive competitor with Colossae. Now, these two towns, along with a neighbor, another neighboring city, were destroyed in earthquakes in AD 17 in the reign of Tiberius and in, again in 60 in the reign of Nero. And they were both rebuilt after each earthquake, but Colossae never really regained its early prominence, and by 400 the city no longer existed. So essentially became a ghost town. I'm not sure if today it would be interesting to see if there are any remains or ruins left. So that's kind of a little bit of a history, and um, we'll, we'll get into a little bit more of that before I actually get into the points, but I want to start off by reading our passage today. This is God's Word. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. 
the forgiveness of sins. So what did they hear? It says, and so from the day we heard. We have to go back a couple of verses to find that out. Just in verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, fellow, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Epaphras made known to Paul and Timothy this church's love in the Spirit. The Apostle Paul had spent two years planting a church in Ephesus, and in Acts 19.10, we learn that from that center, all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Whether it was Paul himself that found out in missionary journeys, or whether it was some of his converts that did so, a church was planted in Colossae. It is, it is likely that Epaphras founded that church, just from what we read. And from uh, Colossians 1.21, we can probably assume that a church was composed mainly of Gentiles. Colossians 1.21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. To just a little bit more of, of the history of Colossae, there was some there was some other religions there, and that maybe that was the case in all of these cities, but this city was under intense pressure from society around it. Now, I'm, as I think about this, think about where we are today. We're under intense pressure from society around us. We can draw all sorts of correlations from what's happening today. Heresy was making inroads into the church. There were forms of Gnosticism, asceticism, and sophistry that were popular in the city. So I can imagine that these things, maybe some of these folks were saved from that, and their family members, their friends, they were under great pressure. And the same thing can be said of churches today. So I'm going to talk about three points, really. Spiritual growth and knowledge, and I think we can add to that spiritual growth in prayer and knowledge. Because if you, as you'll find out, we have to have both of those. Then we'll talk about spiritual growth in our walk and spiritual growth in our experience. So spiritual growth in our knowledge. Verse 9 says that they, Paul and Timothy, or Tim, Paul writes that they do not cease to pray for you. Paul does not cease to pray for the Colossians. Even though this was not a church he started, Paul still prayed for the church and was very concerned about them. In fact, he was really fervent in prayer for many churches. In all of his epistles, he spent a lot of time in prayer. There were at least 43 times where Paul prayed, and his prayers were of substance in these times. Paul worshipped God through his prayers. Paul prayed for others. He prayed for uh, thanking God for the saints. He asked God that they might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He also prayed for himself. He prayed for God's power. He prayed for the words to be given to him that he may boldly proclaim the gospel. Praying for deliverance from evil men. So he didn't pray for his own comfort, that he could be comforted. He prayed that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. 
pastor was praying just before I got up here, and he was praying about a lot of the things I'm going to mention in this next paragraph. I didn't show him my notes. I don't know if somehow he hacked into my computer and got it, but it was like, okay, this is pretty amazing. We should be praying for churches around us that preach the gospel. Praying for churches around the country, around the city, around the world. And I think it's something, and, I, and as a testament today, our pastor does this on a regular basis from the pulpit. Sometimes I get the feeling that there are Christians, even within the same church, that they cannot or they will not pray for brothers they disagree with. Now, I, know I'm, I realize I'm painting a broad brushstroke there. There are many brothers who disagree on theological items, and that's fine. We, they have debates, they have sometimes heated debates, but at the end of the day, they love each other and they do pray for one another. But there are those who don't, and I, I think that's sad. So I don't ever want us to get to that degree. So how about, should we be praying for people we disagree with theologically? Absolutely. If they preach the gospel of Christ, and maybe even if they don't. There are a lot of churches that used to be good, solid, Bible-preaching churches. Maybe we should pray that they would come back to the Word of God and still pray for them. And we certainly need to pray for like-minded churches. Again, pastor prayed this morning for Gettysburg. Hopefully we're thinking of them throughout the week and praying for them. Peace Reformed in Garner, just two of the churches that I can think of. There are many others. Think of a church in Des Moines where my daughter goes to church. So, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray for other churches. And so why did Paul and Timothy pray, though? Why did they specifically pray for? They were asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he is praying that they will grow in the grace and knowledge of God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul prayed this often in his ministry, often. He prayed that they might be knowing and intelligent Christians. We need that filled with the knowledge of His will, of God's will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Not an empty notion, not, not an empty notion of the greatest truth. Our knowledge of the will of God must always be practical. We must know it in order to do it. Our knowledge is then a blessing indeed when it is in God's wisdom. That's key. It has to be in God's wisdom. Why should we be be praying for these uh, things for churches of today? When we do, we strengthen the church. And the church strengthens us through praying for one another. It increases our love for one another. And I think Pastor mentioned this already today too. I've heard it many times. If you don't get along with someone, or maybe you just don't care for them. Now, I'm not talking about you hate them. Uh, hopefully, that's not the case for any of us. But maybe there's somebody that you don't get along with that's a Christian. You, or you just say, eh, just don't mesh with them. Start praying for them. Start praying for them. I can attest to that. There have been times in my life where I've had somebody I didn't really care for, for some reason. Maybe it was their... their uh, something they said or something they did. And if I focused on those things, yeah, that could just boil up. Start praying for them, and that will change. You'll, get, you'll start thinking of them in a different light. You'll start loving them. And brothers and sisters, prayer is like a barometer. 
Persisting in prayerlessness is like persisting in holding your breath underwater. If something doesn't change, what will happen? You're going to die. You'll soon die. And if you persist in prayerlessness, if we persist in prayerlessness, we're going to die spiritually. Ephesians 6, 10-20, probably verses that you are all very familiar with. Paul speaks of how our lives will be characterized by war. Not a physical war, although I suppose that can happen. It's happened in our history. But this is talking about spiritual warfare. And bear with me a minute as I read through Ephesians 6, 10-20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the best breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Let's read that again. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Knowledge. Do, do, we, do we just need knowledge? No. That's why I said that we could add prayer to that first point. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for the church. We need to pray for ourselves that we would grow in the grace, the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But not just the knowledge that we would grow fervently to love the Lord more. And why is that? Well, we have spiritual growth in our walk. Verse 10 Kind of tells us why he was praying, why Paul was praying, Paul and Timothy were praying for uh, growth and knowledge. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So not only will we grow in the grace and knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus, but this will in, also indeed cause us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Christians should endeavor to be filled with knowledge, not only to do the will of God, but to, do, to know more of it. Notice at the end of verse 10, he goes back to increasing the knowledge again. We have to increase in knowledge of God and His will to, to know how to obey Him. However, this is more than an education. It's not just reading to get educated it's more than an intellectual knowledge. These truths must permeate our mind, they must permeate our heart and our lives by grace and the Holy Spirit. Heidelberg Catechism, question 115. If in this life 
No one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. Why does God have them preached so strictly? The answer, first, that as long as we live, we may learn more and more to know our sinful nature, and so that more earnestly, we more earnestly seek forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, that without ceasing, we diligently ask God for the grace of, and I put this in bold, grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may be renewed more and more after the image of God until we attain the goal of perfection in this life, right? No, not in this life, after this life. But that's, I kind of thought, wanted to see if you were paying attention there. <laughs> the Holy Spirit, we need to be renewed more and more after His image. So Paul's praying that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, not so we can become puffed up, not so we can become proud, but so that we would be renewed more and more after the image of God. John Davenant wrote, Wisdom and spiritual understanding are poured into the minds of men from God, not for barren knowledge and idle speculation, but for the practice and exercise of holiness. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may, be, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. 1 Thessalonians 2.12 we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So what sums up the entire calling of the Christian? I think of Shorter Catechism questions, uh, question one, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We need to be conformed to the will of God. Ephesians 4.1 I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Philippians 1.27 Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's throughout the word of God. We are to be growing in Christ's pattern for our whole Christian life. I've taken some of the, the information that I have here today from a, a Joel Beakey book that I read. I read it in a day. <laughs> it was so, so good. It was about spiritual growth, by the way. And he listed a couple of implications for growing in God's pattern, as we should be. Number one, mature Christians act like servants, not lords. Mature Christians act like servants, not lords. Matthew 20, 25 to 27. I kind of sat, and sat on that verse for a while, just thinking about it, or those verses. And spiritual growth, what does that encourage? It encourages submission to God. Submission to God. I'm going to go back to the catechism. Heidelberg Catechism, question 123. What is the second petition? Your kingdom come. That is, so govern us by your word and spirit that we submit ourselves to you always more and more. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the works of the devil. 
every power that exalts itself against you and all wicked devices formed against your holy word until the fullness of your kingdom come, wherein you shall be all in all. Pretty good stuff. It is important to note that these works, though, and this obedience is not gaining us salvation. This is not about our salvation. It's because of it. On the other hand, though, the imputation of Christ's righteousness to believers does not abolish our duty to do good works. It just doesn't. The Belgic Confession, Article 24, it is therefore impossible for this holy faith to be inactive in man. We have this faith. It's not going to be inactive. It's impossible. For we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what Scripture calls faith working through love, Galatians 5.6. This faith induces man to apply himself to those works which God has commanded in His Word. These works, proceeding from the good root of faith, are good and acceptable in the sight of God, since they are sanctified by His grace. Nevertheless, they do not count toward our justification. Just want to make that clear. They do not count toward our justification. For through faith in Christ we are justified, even before we do any good works. Right? Otherwise, they could not be any good, they could not be good any more than the fruit of a tree can be good unless the tree itself is good. The fruit of grace is good works, not merely good attitudes. Have you heard the term, put your money where your mouth is? Well, we are not to merely talk about good works. We are to do them. I've been guilty of merely talking about them many times. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Again, Joel Beakey in his book listed four things to help us grow in private discipline. Read the Scriptures. No surprise there. Meditate on the Scriptures. No surprise there. Pray and work. He says prayer and work are like two oars in a rowboat. Have you ever tried to row a boat with one oar? What happens? You go in circles, right? So we need both. We need prayer and work to make to, to move forward. Keep a journal, he says. Even though this is not commanded in Scripture, he lists Nehemiah and Psalms to attest to the value of writing out devotions. I've never kept a journal, thinking about maybe doing that a little bit. He also talks about growing through family disciplines, corporate disciplines, neighborly disciplines, counseling and teaching your children. We all have either done that or are in the process of doing that now. And I think just because my daughter turned 21 doesn't mean that lets me off the hook. <laughs> Maybe even more so, I counsel and teach my child. She'll always be my child. We also need to sit under the preaching of the Word. We need to participate in the fellowship of the church. We also need to intercede for the world and witness to your neighbor. Lastly, we talk about spiritual growth in our experience. So we've talked about prayer, gaining prayer, you know, through uh, gaining knowledge through prayer. We've talked about our walk, and that's the reason for gaining that knowledge. So it may be conformed to God's will. See how these things are intertwining, they're interlocking, and they're building on one another? So spiritual growth in our experience, 
verses 11 through 14. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. So there are two main areas of spiritual experience. There's divine power and there's human gratitude. Verse 11 talks about being strengthened in all power according to our works. No, according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. It is God's power. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This God-given power is needed. It's needed because as Christians, we are involved in constant warfare. We're involved in constant warfare against the world, against our own flesh, against the devil. We fight temptations all the time, various trials. I don't think I'm alone there. I think we could all think about this and we can relate to the trials and the temptations in life. What is expected of us, brethren, is far beyond our own resources. We can't do this on our own. We need access to a greater power. And we do have that in Christ. Like John, Paul wants Christian believers to grow up spiritually. When we first become believers, we're babes in Christ. We're taking just milk. Paul wants the Colossian Christians to grow from infancy to youth, from little children to adults in the faith. And that process takes a, it's a lifelong process. We are being strengthened for every need. Philippians 14, 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is a very misquoted verse. People use it for everything. I think it's true still that we can do all things through Christ. And God gives us that power to do these things. And so what are the things we can do? John Davenant listed five things. Doing good works, however difficult. Striving against sin. I need help there, that's for sure. Despising earthly things. Resisting temptation and enduring affliction. If it were not for God's power, we would fall to those things. We would not be able to withstand them. However, learning to lean on God's power is easier said than done for us pesky humans, isn't it? It's hard for us. We tend to want to lean on our own power, particularly in the United States. I've never lived anywhere else, but I've always heard that. We always want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We want to do it on our own power. We grow spiritually, Beaky says, as we cease striving on our own power and rely more on the Spirit's power. Learning to wait on the Lord, putting our hope in Him alone. Not in ourselves or any other creature is essential for spiritual growth. We learn this lesson very slowly, though. I thought of what it, could, what it would look like. And how about a glacier? Sometimes we learn at the pace of a glacier. If Google is correct, the typical glacier moves 25 centimeters per day. It's not very far. There is one that moves pretty fast. There's one in Greenland that moves at a blistering 7.8 miles per day. 
The speed we learn to wholly rely on God travels at a much slower rate sometimes. Sometimes we wonder if we even grow at all. Isaiah 40, 40, 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. Going back to the Heidelberg Catechism a couple more times before we are done. What is the coming of, to life of the new nature? It is a heartfelt joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. Therefore, growing spiritually includes increasing in our joy in God through Christ and growing delight in our duties. For in our duties, God meets with us. Three practical steps we can take is this. Be honest about our weaknesses. Be honest about our weaknesses. We can't do this without. without. Number two, looking to Christ continually for strength and joy. And number three, pray without ceasing. Finally, we need to grow in our experience of gratitude. Heidelberg question 86 basically asks, why must we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit to be His image, so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for His benefits, and He may be praised by us. Further, that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits, and that by our godly walk of life, we may win our neighbors for Christ. Our, our gratitude will increase as we increasingly value the Son. Hmm. Beakey says the church needs experiential preaching because the preachers who do this, number one, expound on the Bible. Number two, they proclaim Christ. Number three, they make application to the heart. Number four, they maintain a balanced Christianity. And by that, it means it distinguishes between Christ's work for us and Christ's work in us, but never separates the two from each other. It balances God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So we have the power, divine power we need, and our experience. So, tying this all together, we need to grow spiritually in knowledge. That is really the first thing. We see Paul praying this not only for the Colossians, but other churches. I also think we see this in our pastor. He prays for our spiritual growth. And that's why, point one, I'm going to say it for the, probably the fourth time, it's really not just spiritual growth in our, in our knowledge. It's in our knowledge through prayer, probably, or something of that nature. We need that. We also need spiritual growth in our walk. We are to be growing in Christ's pattern for our whole life. Now that comes slow. I want to preface that, but we need to be growing. Then we need to grow in our experience. Not by our own power, but by divine power and our gratitude. As we grow up in Christ, and remember this is sometimes at a more or slower than glacial speed. Sometimes, in fact, 
Many times we wonder if we'll ever grow at all in Christ. <laughs> there are days, weeks, hopefully not months, but it could be. We are to learn to lean solely on Him. And the only way this can happen is through the power of God. That's the only way it can happen. Let us increasingly value the Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.